All right, well, we're just going to get right into our text for today. So if you have your Bibles, be turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And you can probably figure out where we are from the uh, bulletin that we are uh, closing in here today on the uh, end of our journey through the Thessalonian epistles. And so we have a closing word to the Thessalonians. Now, uh, last February seems like a long time ago. A lot has changed uh, since last February. And that's when we took a, a journey through these two letters or began a journey through these two letters. And so we have gone through both First and Second Thessalonians. And we've seen the history of Paul's arrival in Thessalonica, how the church was started in Thessalonica, uh, how it was a young church and a church that encountered persecution and difficulty and how uh, when Paul went there and preached, he preached in a way that the Spirit moved in such power. And Paul says that it was if we didn't preach with words at all, right? But there was a movement of the Spirit, and there was much recognition of the truth of the Word of God. And, uh, and so there were many people saved, and a great work happened. And Paul talks about that in these letters, how uh, they saw the power of God moving when the gospel was proclaimed there. And so we saw all those things. And then we saw that Paul was forced to leave town abruptly, uh, that uh, he was worrying about this church, this young church, infant church in the Lord, a church that he was concerned about. And so he turned his thoughts to them often and finally uh, even sent someone to go check on them, as we know. And we've looked at all that. And so Paul was waiting for an answer. What will Timothy find? What will be the word on this church? Have they survived? Have they endured? And he hears a word back that delights his heart. Not only did they survive persecution, they have thrived in the face of persecution. They have grown, they have evangelized, they have not only evangelized Thessalonica, but the entire region of Macedonia and even into Achaia, the neighboring region. You may remember we spoke of that often in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is delighted and even amazed, even says, it's as if there's no work left for us to do. You know, you're taking all of our work from us, you're working so well. And so Paul received this as incredible news, but... These were human beings. And so there's a few issues as well. There's a misunderstanding of the return of Christ that has driven some in the church to hopelessness. And Paul's concerned about that. The worst testimony the church can give is hopelessness. If there's any people that should be a people of hope, it's us. Regardless of the circumstances of the world, we are a people of, who have a hope that transcends any of the current realities. Because the reality is that we are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, you know, we need to deal with this. And so Paul addresses in both letters this issue of those that have come in and, and sown a discord through the message that Christ has already returned and those that have died have missed out. Again, we spoke about how heartbreaking that message would be if you believe that were true. And so Paul deals with it. And then, as we looked at largely last Sunday, there was another issue of those causing disorder in the church. And we spoke about the different ways that was happening through uh, a not, a not having a willingness to work and also uh, being busybodies and stirring up trouble and all the things that Paul uh, dealt with that we've looked at over the past two Lord's Days. So Paul addressed all these things, the good and the bad, in both these letters. And uh, so... As we draw our journey through the Thessalonian epistles to a close, we want to see how Paul drew his letter, his second letter, the letter we've been looking at recently, to a close. So, if you have your Bibles, let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verses 16 through 18. 
And Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. My friends, that's a beautiful benedictory prayer to end this letter on. And so there's not a lot to look at. We've got three verses. We're going to try to be quick uh, and, and, and come to the time of our Lord's table this morning. But we do want to look at two points. First of all, a genuine greeting. There is a genuine message of greeting here that's important to think about the way Paul addresses it here. And then also a blessed benediction. So we're going to start this morning looking at the text slightly out of order. And that, that's something we don't usually do, but I think it'll help us in looking at this text today. It's not our normal approach, but I think it's the right approach with these three verses. So we're going to begin with verse 17 and this idea of a genuine greeting because Paul gives them a salutation. Now he gives both a benediction and a salutation in these three verses, but in the middle there's a salutation or a greeting that's important. And we need to look at it. So, If we want to look at what Paul writes, let's look at just that verse. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So I write. So Paul has been dictating this letter through amanuensis. That's a a secretary, a a scribe, a person who basically uh, takes what Paul is dictating and writes it out. So there's a person, a secretary, who is writing out this letter for Paul, and Paul says, now I want you to see, I've picked up the quill myself, and I am writing it out by my hand, this part. Now this is something Paul often did. In fact, it's common in all ancient writing, but we see it in Paul's writings. You may remember that at the end of the letter to the Romans, uh, the, the scribe actually mentions his own name. He says, I, Tertius, greet you. So he said, uh, you all know me somehow. He must have been a brother in the Lord. The the church in Rome knew him. So he said, Paul, do you mind if I give my own greeting? Paul didn't mind. So those believers in Rome knew Tertius and received that, uh, that greeting from Tertius, I'm sure, graciously. And Paul allowed that to be placed there in the Word of God. I guess you could say the Holy Spirit allowed it to be placed there. So most of the letter is written by a scribe, but there are times where Paul picks up the quill in his own hand and wants to write a little message. You may remember at the end of uh, Galatians that Paul makes a note of this, doesn't he? He says, look at with uh, what large letters I write this note to you. Paul's saying, uh, if you recognize this writing, you know it's mine. Uh, There's much speculation as to why Paul would think his writing was so unique. Uh, especially these, this idea of large letters. Many people believe that when he was stoned and left for dead, that it affected his eyesight. He talked about thorns in flesh and things like that that he dealt with and struggled with. Perhaps that was it. But whatever reason, people knew if there were these large letters, it was Paul's writing. They knew uh, Paul's writing was distinctive. And I'm sure the Lord blessed him with that so uh, that he could write these things. And so we see it again today. Paul writes in this text today, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, and so I write. Now that's the, King, the New King James Version. Maybe you've got an ESV in front of you. It words it this way, a little bit more, I think, drawn out and able to be understood. Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So Paul's making the point. I'm writing this section in my own hand, 
This is a sign or the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. Now, this is really important because Paul wants them to know that he's writing with his own hand. In fact, Paul calls it a sign, a sign. And that's the word he uses, Simeon. It's the word that's used in the Gospels for the miracles of Jesus. It's a sign. Now, what is a sign miracle? It's a miracle that points to something greater than itself. Uh, When Jesus feeds people or heals people, he's not just uh, saying, I'm going to heal this person, although he is healing them. But that healing is a sign of who he is, the work he came to do and complete. And in the same way, Paul says, when you look at this handwritten line of text, this greeting, it stands for something. What does it stand for? That I wrote it. That this letter comes from me. That this is an official and authentic letter of Paul. It's the real deal. It's genuine. And that's why the ESV words it that way. This is a sign of genuineness. Now, again, uh, the other translations hint at that. It's a sign in every epistle. It's a sign. It's something you're going to recognize and know by looking at it that I wrote this to you. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Well, you may remember back in early October, it's a little while back, we came to the beginning of chapter 2. And if you turn back there with me, I want you to see something. Paul is going to begin to address a concern, and we dealt with this a little bit at the time. He's dealing with these controversies we spoke of a moment ago about the return of Christ and misunderstandings about it. And listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. By what? Either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, we spoke at the time that the way Paul words that, it seems as if he's concerned that a letter has arrived in Thessalonica that claims to be from him and Silas and Timothy that is not genuine. Now, we don't know it. I'm not sure Paul knew for sure uh, the means that it came through preaching or through prophecy or through this false letter. But Paul wants to make sure at the end of this letter that he says, Notice that I've written with my own hand here as a sign that this is the real deal. This letter can be trusted. And Paul says, I've done this in all the letters. Well, remember something. Uh, collected in the Scriptures, there's two letters by this point, right? First and th- Second Thessalonians. This tells us that Paul wrote a lot of letters that the Holy Spirit did not intend to be in the Scriptures. As we would expect that to be the case. But these letters are preserved and part of the canon. And Paul says, you can know that they are the real deal because I have written in my own hand. The other letter didn't have that. Cast it in the fire. If there was such a letter. But again, Paul wants them to recognize that he is going to make sure they know that when he is speaking to them, it is the word of God. It is authenticated by his own hand as the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul is zealously guarding the Scriptures. We need to recognize this. Paul wants to make sure that nothing that doesn't belong there is placed there. And nothing that does belong there is taken out of there. I don't think uh, Paul would be a fan of like the Jefferson Bible, right? Where Thomas Jefferson went through and edited out the parts he didn't like. My friends, the truth of the matter is, we might not take scissors to our Bibles, but there are many preachers out there 
who are doing that with their sermons, right? They're just skipping. They're just leaving out. It's one of the reasons we try to preach straight through. We can't skip anything. If I decide to skip over a section, you're going to recognize, wait a minute, why did we not preach verses 3 through 9? So, again, we need to recognize the importance of what is in the Word of God needs to be declared, preached, thought about, read, meditated on, and applied in our lives. And so, again, Paul is zealous to make sure that happens. To make sure they understand this is from him, he takes up the quill, he signs this greeting in his own hand and says, Now you know this comes from me. Now you know this is a word from God, uh, the Holy Spirit working through me to bring you this message, the very oracles of God. So Paul wants his brothers and sisters to know what is the word of God and what is not. And Paul does this often, doesn't he? We've spoken about this during this journey, but in Galatians, Paul wants to know if somebody brings you another gospel, another gospel, not only cast it aside, but consider them anathema. That's serious. Uh, In the Corinthian letters, Paul says there are people preaching another Jesus. What do you do? Same thing. Same thing. And in this case, Paul says, if they're bringing a message that's not the message we brought, you know how to treat it. Cast it aside. The message we brought to you when we were with you is the message to hold on to. Anyone who comes preaching something else, ignore. And in the future, when I send you a letter, you're going to know it's from me because you'll notice my handwriting, which, praise the Lord, was distinct. The Lord blessed him with a very distinct hand that uh, it would be clear Paul wrote the letter. And so, again, uh, this is Paul's first point. He wants to know the trustworthiness of the message that they are reading. And that brings us to ultimately the content of the letter, doesn't it? Why does it need to be verified? Why do we need to know it's genuine? Because Paul says you need to read it, think about it, and live according to it. Again, you need to know it's real so you know to do that. And so again, we come to the content of this text even for today, verses 16 through 18. We had the salutation in verse 17, but it leads us to consider the benediction in 16 and 18. And what a blessed benediction it is. Paul wants to offer this benedictory prayer on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica as he closes this letter. And he often does this, doesn't he? Benedictions to close his letters. Well, listen to what Paul writes. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Now that is an incredible benedictory prayer that God would bless His people, particularly these people in Thessalonica, with a peace, the peace of God. He describes God as the Lord of peace. He is the Lord who makes peace available to His people, who blesses His people with peace. And Paul speaks about that often. speaks about it in a number of places, refers to God as the, the God of peace. You may remember that uh, in Romans, he speaks about how Jesus Christ has brought us into a right relationship with God. Therefore, we can be at peace with God and have peace with God. My friends, this is all important to understand as Paul is talking about them being blessed with peace. He's saying you already have peace with God as believers, but now he's praying that they would be blessed with a greater peace, if you will. Not necessarily greater than the peace with God, but the idea of living in the peace blessed by God. 
Now, the word Paul is using is arene. That's uh, the Greek word for peace. But the way you use it here signals back, as we talked about last week, to the idea of shalom. Paul was a great Jewish theologian before he was ever a Christian. And Paul understood this idea of the blessing of shalom promised in the Old Testament. This blessing of peace upon the people of God. And of course, Paul recognized this very promise given over and over that God would bless His people with peace. This people who were called out, His people. That they would have peace in the community of the people of God. So Paul is praying that his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica would be blessed in just this way. That they would have peace. This idea of shalom, wholeness before the face of God. Peace. Almost a sense of rest, of comfort uh, in the, before the face of God. Now Paul has been concerned, if you think about it last Sunday, that there was something disrupting that very sense of shalom. Paul said it's got to be dealt with. We've got to, to fix it and we've got to move on. But the point is, we're trying to get to this place where we can be blessed as the people of God in shalom together, in community together, the people of God living in the blessing of God. And in fact, when you think about the comparison that Paul has in mind, it's pretty clear. He's speaking very clearly here of uh, just like the, the blessing of shalom on the Old Testament people of God, called out by God, set apart by God, living unto God. Now he says the church, in a very similar way, has this same relationship, doesn't it? The people of God, called out by God, holy unto the Lord, living according to the commandments of God, these are a people who should be living in the peace of God and blessed with the peace of God. So Paul understands this. What was true uh, in the Old Testament of this idea of shalom, he is now applying through this word arene, the Greek word for peace, but carrying all of that. And if you don't think that's clear, look at how Paul ends that verse. The Lord be with you all. And this is a very common uh, benediction in the Old Testament as well. In fact, it's interesting, uh, many scholars are pointing out that Paul words this just like in the Septuagint. There's just one change of applying it to everyone uh, that is very similar to the greeting that Boaz's workers give him when he blesses them in the Lord. They say, the Lord be with you. Paul says, the Lord be with you all. Now I want you to think for a moment who the all is. It's the entirety of the church fellowship at Thessalonica. That means this blessing includes those who he's just rebuked. I want you to think about that for a moment. They've not been pushed out of the fellowship yet. They may be if they don't repent and turn from their sin. But while they're still in it, Paul has a blessing of shalom for everyone. But here's what he's saying. Just like we looked at before, I'm praying that there'll be restoration and repentance and you'll be brought back into the family, the, the, the body of Christ and, and blessed with this blessing that would be upon the entire fellowship of the people of God in Thessalonica, this blessing of peace and wholeness, this shalom, and that the Lord will be with you all. And notice that blessing of peace is an amazing blessing that covers every base in every way and at all times. All God's blessings on you all the time. It's the kind of prayer that uh, blessing we like to have, isn't it? Uh, and so uh, Paul was blessing this or praying this on behalf of uh, the people of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, offering it up as a benediction. And if we continue there to the end, verse 18, we wouldn't want to miss that he also says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know, uh, this letter and the preceding letter begin with a uh, word of grace and peace. 
And so it's appropriate that Paul brings them to a close with a word of grace and peace. Because they go together, don't they? The entire thing we've been talking about this morning is that the peace that Paul is wishing upon these Thessalonian believers is a peace that can only come from God. God alone can grant it. God alone is the author of it, the giver of it, the sustainer of it. Only God can offer the kind of peace that Paul is talking about here. And he only does it through Christ, right, who reconciles us to him through his grace. See, the ingredient that's necessary is grace because it's a gift that we don't deserve. And so the Bible tells us over and over again that we must stand in this grace, this grace, not as people who have earned a salvation in Christ, but a people who have been offered a salvation in Christ. And we talked about in Romans that distinctive between wages and gifts. And that's an important distinction. You cannot earn this gift. You cannot earn any gift. That's Paul's point, isn't it, in Romans? A gift is something given, not earned. A wage is something earned. None of us deserve the salvation that we have in Christ, but Christ, by His grace, has made the way. So Paul says, make sure you stand in grace. Because it's the only way you have a place in this story. It's the only way you have a place in this family. It's the only way you have a place to be in the peace of God. By the grace of God. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he prays that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this gift, charis, this this gift, this, this gracious, unmerited favor would be given to these people. He says, in Christ you've already been given it, but I pray that you'll live in God's grace. Now, that's important for us to think about, isn't it? Because we're about to come to the Lord's table. None of us have reserved a spot at this table by anything we've done. We sit at this table because of what Christ did. And he's the one who says that, that he is offering this to us. So my friends... As Paul would say to them that he's praying that we would live in the peace and grace or grace and peace, whatever order you want to put it in, of God and that we would think about the grace and peace of God and would celebrate the grace and peace of God. So again, we come to Paul reminding the Thessalonians and I believe us today through God's word that we are to be a people who desire to live in the wholeness of God, who desire to live in the peace of God and who recognize that's only possible because of the grace of God. And so as we come to this table today, we need to recognize that it is a gracious gift of God to invite us to this table. My friends, we don't have to stretch very far to come up with an analogy. What king can you kick down his door and say, I'm sitting at your table tonight? What lowly, earthly king, here today and gone tomorrow, can you demand your place at his table? the King of all glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At His table we come as pitiful beggars, really, but those who are blessed in Christ Jesus to have a place here. Paul says, don't forget that. You stand in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful for it. Thank Him for it. Amen.